Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Hey, y'all. I'm Jacqueline Coley. Have you just been longing for Branson to bring the car around again? In that uniform? You know what I mean. Well, get ready. This is Downton Abbey, the official podcast. Downton Abbey, the official podcast, is a brand new weekly rewatch show, the place to be for all things related to Downton Abbey, the TV series, movie, and now, finally, the upcoming film, Downton Abbey, A New Era. I'm Jacqueline Coley, an editor at Rotten Tomatoes, and I'm going deep with your favorite Downton Abbey stars about their characters and how they came to be, going all the way back to the iconic moments of season one. Later in the series, my co-host, Anita Rani, will chat with more creators, stars, and members of the Downton Abbey crew about the new movie. Today on the show, I'm talking to Irish actor Alan Leach. He's known to Downton fans first as Branson, then as Tom Branson, and then finally just Tom when he marries Lady Sybil and becomes a member of the family. But we're not going to get ahead of ourselves. When we first meet Alan's character, he's a servant, the chauffeur of the Crawley family, and in a totally different social class. Alan was delightful, as you will hear, and super relatable. In fact, we were talking to everyone from home and he admitted he had just put his daughter down to sleep when we came online and he was still eating a buffalo chicken quesadilla that he had made. And as a Texan, I gotta say, I never thought I'd hear Tom Branson talk about a quesadilla. But anyway, it was a great work from home moment. When we started, I asked Alan to bring us back to the beginning of his Downton experience. Well, when I first got the uh, the sides and the kind of cover letter, I just looked at the names involved and I was kind of in awe of the fact that they managed to get all these people into one show. And to be honest, I found it quite hard to identify with the then John Branson, not Tom Branson, who was actually from Yorkshire. Originally, the character was supposed to be just very similar to those that you found downstairs, that he was actually part of the community who just, you know, got this got this gig. So. It was only when I went in, I'd worked with Julian before, and he said, keep your Irish accent. Uh, I have an idea, which I thought, immediately thought, that's terrible. I'm never going to get the job now. I'd worked really hard on my Yorkshire accent. And, and they insisted that I did it in my own accent. And I walked out of there and met up with a friend and said, oh, I would have loved to have been part of that, but it's never going to go my way. I mean, they're never going to hire an Irish guy for this role. And... It was only then when I got the role, I, then, I, I was still insistent, thinking I should do this, I should play it as John Branson, I, I should be from Yorkshire. And it was only when Liz Trubridge, the producer, rang and said, Alan, stop fighting us on this. We really want you <laughs> the Irish. Julian has an idea. And then from that moment on, January, I went, OK, I trust Julian implicitly. And it has been such an amazing roller coaster ride for me. Why? Because I don't understand why you were so positive that an Irish character wouldn't work. Because me, I just I can't see it any other way now. 
Well, it's funny you say that, but I think for me, it had never been written that way. So I was wondering how in the world Julian was going to kind of manage to shoehorn in this Irish character into a very British world. And that's what I was afraid of. And in fact, it, it was it was completely and utterly unwarranted fear because when you actually see what Tom Branson ends up doing uh, within the show, and as Julian, because he's a bit of a genius, realized was that Tom Branson can be the audience's tour guide. He is seeing this world for the first time, just like a lot of the people around the world are seeing this. Uh, this 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 drama and this family and, and the, the whole setup. So in a way, I think what Julian realized was there's a very interesting place to, to put an Irishman in this incredibly English world. Yeah, and it's so incredible that you say that because you're right, everyone got swept up in his ambition, his romance, his passions, everything that Tom did. And especially, as you probably know, the American audience was yeah. so invested in him. And it's crazy when I talk to some of my British friends because yes, Downton is a thing and people like it over there, but it's not the obsession that Americans are about it here. And I'm sure you definitely experience this daily. Absolutely. And, and especially since I now live in Los Angeles. So the reaction to the show compared to what it used to be in the UK, uh, Rob James Collier said it brilliantly on one of our press tours at the height of Denton's success in America. He said, in America, people will like run across a busy highway, dodging traffic to tell you they love, love your show. And in the UK, people will run across a busy highway and dodge traffic just to tell you they don't watch it. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, they do have that sense that, yeah. but, but I think, again, that's why Tom resonated so much with the American audiences, because he was someone who had was so filled with ambition and drive and took on the establishment in the way that he did, not only because he fell in love with Sybil, but also because he was very strong in his beliefs and he believed and he was going to fight for them to the end and it's only because of circumstances that his eyes got open to this world and, and the kindness that this family had and he was able to i suppose some of his resentment towards the aristocracy and and the british softened yeah he, i mean softened on both sides you softened them and they softened you from like because yeah the the branson that we find in season one is definitely head over heels in love with Sybil, but he's also so strident and so um, focused. And I don't think it is until later seasons when he's confronted with that. Um, talk to me about like your conversations with Julian about that, because that alluded to what happened later with, with Sybil. Yes, yeah. And again, at the time I was, I, I was a bit in the dark as to where Julian was gonna go with the storyline. I was hired for three episodes. And I remember on my last day kind of turning to Jim Carter and saying, well, it's been lovely. And he was like, yeah, see you on the next one. But meaning some other job, I'll see it in rep in Yorkshire or, <laughs> you know, I'll see you in the West End. No one really had any idea that it was going to become the phenomenon it did. And I, I at the time, obviously playing this strident Irish kind of Republican, but socialist and someone who was so strident in his beliefs was a great joy, but I had no idea where it would go. So it was lovely to play this very different story within a very British world. And it was something that I kind of reveled in being an Irish actor in the UK as well, that I got to be this person who kind of got to speak about and, and give people an understanding of what was happening at the time to the Irish 
with under British rule. So I thought that was really a lovely thing that Julian did. And I didn't realize as well how much knowledge at the time, and it was, this was my ignorance, was Julian is heavily connected with Ireland. His brother lives in, in Kerry, which or an island off Kerry, which mm. is down in, in the south of Ireland. And, and he spent so much time there that he, he has a passion for the Irish story himself. So, but I, I had no understanding really of where it was going. I, I genuinely thought I was going to be this kind of very, you know, strong-minded individual who kind of spurred Sybil on and, and then he kind of would disappear. I didn't realize that I was going to have such an, an influential storyline within her story and then for Tom to have his own story too. Because there was what they call the Bible, which had the first three seasons that we I remember it was myself, Dan Stevens, Michelle, it might have been Rob James Collier, and, and Laura Carmichael, and Jess Brown Finney. We found this Bible that, that was basically what was going to happen in the story. Sybil was to end up with Matthew. Shut the front door. Yeah. Um, who else? There, I think Carson and Mrs. Hughes, because it, it was three seasons, you could kind of see where they were going. They were already going to be romantically involved. I think Lady Mary was involved with someone else of high society. There were Americans coming over way earlier. It was all, it was very different. So when I read that as well, I was like, oh, well, okay, I'm out. And then we got in a lot of trouble for finding that document. Oh, I'm sure you did. But I'm so glad that you did. Also, to every American right now who's just racing with fan fiction about Sybil and Matthew, I'm with you. Because <laughs> I'm like... Because oh, even season two, when she's found at the rally and he kind of comes to her aid, and 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 Branson well, kind of brought her there, and he's and there's a chance he might. But it, it was it was Matthew was the hero, or seen to be the hero when he like yeah. when he saved her. Even though I did all the work, if you remember it, Branson <laughs> who carried her and everything else. And then you know there they are going, oh Matthew, you're wonderful. Yeah. No. Yeah. I mean, it's it's that Prince Charming pretty boy thing that he does, though. He just like swoops in. You know, I get it. Like <laughs> I get it. Like that's very. That's Matthew, the character, you know, like I'm going to, I'm going to throw it in. And Branson's the one that she really wants though. That, that's the way that one goes. <laughs> um, I, I also think that it, it's something that Julian, uh, he does tend to play to actor strengths or to see a relationship growing. And he's not afraid to take that chance. So maybe he did originally have that idea, but then he saw either the way myself and, and Jess were, at, were, were kind of the chemistry we had within scenes or he just thought, you know what, this is a storyline I think people could really hold on to. So I think that he, he, he does, he's prepared to adapt and pivot depending on, on what happens. Well, I'm glad that he did. And that's what I was just going to ask you is when do you feel was the first inkling? Because it's funny that you mentioned that scene in season two, because I definitely saw that. But as far as us, the viewers, we knew this was, you know, Romeo and Juliet, the two star-crossed lovers. I think from the minute she started speaking to him. I think you're right. I think it definitely starts in the first season and it's at the very end when Gwen has that job and gets that job. And there's that moment where and I think you have to be very eagle eyed to see it. But Branson and Sybil hold hands. Mm. They actually hold each other's hand when, when they get when they get that news. And it's when Mrs. Hughes turns to him and says, careful, my boy, you know, basically gives him a word of warning. For me, that was when there was a sense that this could be if, the, if there was going to be a second season. Because at the time we didn't know that 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 definitely could had the fruition of uh, that the potential to be something greater. Yeah, we actually um, 
when we were getting ready for this, I went back and like looked at all of the like early episodes and like that little warning, also Sybil's cake. Like there's just so many great, I think, um, moments because he's looking at her too while she's trying to attempt this. And it's that sort of like longing and looking. Yeah. Um, and it's so funny. I'm just curious about you and Jessica, as you guys got to play it, got to play it later. Like, did you like say it's like, OK, I know this is going to be our, our, our grand sweeping romance. This is more season two, but I still want to kind of know about y'all talking about it. Um, I, I think, to be honest, it was trying to find that balance between playing this sweeping romance and also like Branson has some very harsh things that he says to her. And, and, and he kind of is kind of quite combative in, in relation to him saying, you know, you're wrong about the way you see the world. I, I I love your passion. I love what you're going for. But in his view, he's like, you're still way off the mark. Yeah. And and then at the same time, also going, and by the way, you're in love with me. You'll get there. <laughs> um, <laughs> which I do. I, I did find that was quite, he was a very, he's very kind of strong in, in his own beliefs of how much he cared about him. But maybe it was trying to get past the class system that, that he'd already got past in a way. I mean, I think you have to be. Like you have to be, you know, I don't know what else to say other than this, but you have to kind of be like the Kanye West of that era to think that you're going to be brash enough to like marry a lady, literally a lady. So like I actually I thought that was like actually fitting for the character. But it's interesting looking at it now because he ended up being the character probably right behind Mrs. Hughes that existed the most within the upstairs and downstairs, maybe more than her in in certain ways uh, because of how intimate he got with the family. But yeah, it's um, it's interesting to see him living in two worlds, and he literally made himself into almost a new person by the end of the of the series, and even on into the movies. Yeah, definitely, and and that was something that was lovely to play throughout that that arc. But that arc alone is, is I was a victim of circumstance as an actor because when it came to the end of season three, and Jess had decided not to renew her contract, and you know, power to her, she wanted to go and do other things. Again, I thought, well, that's me gone. Like that, that's been a great journey because how how does Branson exist in this world without Sybil? It's the only connection into this family. He can't go back downstairs now. And rather than do what I thought would happen, which is like bye bye Branson, uh, Julian said the opposite. He goes, no, this guy is now he's he's completely exiled from his own country. He lives with this family that really only tolerated him because of their daughter and their love for their or sister. And now he's left there with the child who is also now a grandchild and a niece, this family. And he's completely stuck. And that was, I have to say, partly, and I know people will hate me for saying this, but season three, once she passed, was some of my my stuff as an actor was, was the best stuff to do because to play that challenge within Branson's world and that and that absolute loss. He's also lost, by the way, the love of his life, someone he was prepared to put everything on the line for. And the only person he truly believed saw finally as they kind of came together, got married and, and, and you were on this journey to have a family that really understood this world yeah. with him at the same time. So that was so much fun to play that. And as you say, then that trajectory, because he kept me there, then Branson has to go on this journey of not completely giving up on his past, but also having to adapt for the future and, and then seeing what he can do and sees this massive house, massive estate and says, well, actually, let's put this to work in a, in a way that we haven't yet. Let's let's actually give this back to the people. Mm. Let's farm it correctly. Let's give people land. Let's build homes. And I kind of love that about about what Julian did for for Branson because I think he's a very honest person and he's a very 
very, very uh, determined person in relation to even influence them in how the world has to change and how they have to change. Yeah, he actually had, and it's so great that you mentioned him because he had nothing but praise to say about you, specifically the scene when Lady Sybil dies. He saw you give things that day that he did not think was possible, like when you were holding her and then the physical things that Jessica was doing with her body. And I think it was actually Michelle even talked about it. I think it was Michelle actually who spoke about it and it was just incredible. So just a little tease of that moment, because obviously you knew in the script it was coming. This was going to be a huge change for everyone in the house. Just take us a little bit into that, because I'd say that's the that's the corner for, for Tom. Yeah, no, I think you're right. Um, that's so lovely that they both said such nice things. I'm, I think it was a very emotional time for us because it was also the first time that we were losing a cast member who uh, had become family on this absolute roller coaster ride of, of, of seeing the success it had enjoyed. And now we were kind of going to lose one of our core group. And it, we shot it over a couple of days. And I've been thinking about a lot, a lot of songs that we used to play. And we were all kind of in that kind of zone of trying to stay uh, kind of just as focused as possible as we shot it over you know, a couple of days. But one thing I didn't want for Branson was to be stoic in it. I wanted him to literally be as raw as possible. And the stuff that I said, and I, Julian has mentioned this before, that it wasn't written where I was just begging her not to leave because I just felt that at that point, she was everything. She was his world. And I wasn't going to stand there and, and be like, stiff upper lip British, which a lot of, you know, Julian had written for the family. And I think what worked so well is the fact that Branson was like, I don't care. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't care if I'm supposed to be reserved or, you know, this is, this is literally everything. My heart and soul is, is literally disappearing from me. So I kind of love that they, they let me just go for that. It was really lovely. You cannot get me emotional on this podcast. Like I'm supposed <laughs> to be the host keeping it together, but like that scene, if you can't feel moved watching that, I, I, something has left you. It's such a, mm. such a hard scene. And, and, and even if you've never experienced a loss in your life, anyone can appreciate that. And it's because of what you guys did. All right, we're going to get to the happier side because literally I'm like tearing up over here. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about Branson in the house because he developed friendships and relationships with folks, but it seemed like all of them always got cut short. Like he never really got to build lasting relationships. Like he gets one with Matthew and then Matthew obviously leaves us. Um, Who do you think he is the closest to in the house? Is it someone from the downstairs? Is it upstairs? I think, I think Mrs. Hughes has always been a great guide for him. Mm. Um, And I think I've loved uh, that relationship has been lovely, but through the course of all of the movies uh, or the, the, the series and then the movie, I think the relationship with Mary has to be the one that has brought them and bonded them the closest. And, mm-hmm. and I don't know whether that's also what Julian has done to bring myself and Michelle together, knowing how close we are as friends. But um, there was something about, I suppose, Mary and Branson are, are very similar in a way and also completely opposite. Mm-hmm. And it, that came to a head when Mary tried to destroy Edith's uh, uh, marriage or or potential marriage and when he actually came into the room and just said you know like like all bullies you're a coward Mary like no one else had the ability to speak to her like that and, and ever since then I think their relationship was built into a much stronger friendship but even when they were turning the estate around in the in season five I think it was and even when there's always been like potential suitors he's always been kind of there as a sounding board for 
and as a friend and as a confidant and I love that relationship I have to say I've always loved that and it was very funny watching people as the season was going on and Mary was single and Branson was single and everyone's like maybe they should get together and I always said I mean the guy has to look slightly further outside like (laughs) (laughs) no don't go four doors down maybe go to the four houses down I can't. I can't wrap my head around it. I can't. Um, The one thing I will say, too, about Tom Branson is, again, just how much fans fell in love with him as a character, felt like he was their guide, as, as Julian says, through this world that they didn't necessarily understand. But I'm just curious, how quickly did you click about the fan reaction? And what was that moment? I think it kind of came in stages. The first stage for me, I was back doing a play in the Dublin Theatre Festival when it first aired in the UK. And we'd all kind of stayed in touch and like we were texting each other going, you know, how's it going? And they were like, oh, wow. And then the numbers started coming up and how many people in the UK were watching? And I was like, well, that's a lot. Uh, and then, <laughs> so then kind of that, I was still in Ireland disassociated from it in a way, just seeing these figures and everyone's like, and I remember Michelle going, mate, this is, this is crazy, it's bonkers. But again, quite a peripheral character, probably not, uh, getting as much of like the kind of attention in a way that like the other main cast and rightly w- were getting. And then I came back, I just got back into London for the very final episode and we all decided to watch it together because of its success. So my first time of coming and seeing everyone again, I got onto the tube in, in London uh, at Liverpool street and I was heading into the center town and this woman on the train just went to her partner and just pointed at point, nudged her partner, then pointed at me and then did the driving mime. Um, and then and then mouthed the word chauffeur. And then I was like, oh my God. So that was the first, because I'd never been recognized in my life, I think, until that point. And I was like, oh wow, this really has resonated with a lot of people. And then when we all got together that night, it was kind of amazing celebration of the fact that number one, we were told that night that it was going to go for a second season. And then the fact that that um it had been so welcomed. So that was the UK. And then we were just about to go back into production in February when it took off in, in, in the US. And it was only at the end of that, Michelle and I think Laura had gone out to New York. And when she came back that time, she was like, this is bonkers. Like this. <laughs> crazy. Um, again, but because I hadn't experienced it, I, I was like, oh, that's great. She's like, no, mate, it's, it's not. <laughs> I was like, and so, and then people kept coming back from America going, I mean, it's, you won't believe. And it was always kind of the names, the celebrity names in America where people were like, I can't believe that happened. And then it was only when, I think it was season, end of season three, I was arriving into the States for something. And I was at US border, like protection. And and uh, the guy took my passport. He must've been in his late sixties. And uh, excuse my French for what I'm about to say. And uh, he took my passport, looked at me, looked at the passport again shook his head and said, and it was just after the episode where Branson had left Sybil back in Ireland and run back to the estate. And he just looked at me, shook his head and went, that was a shitty thing you did to your wife. And I was like, I'm sorry? And he's like, no, I, 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 my, my, my wife watches it. I'm, I'm, I'm always, and that's a, a common reaction you have from middle-aged men in America. My wife watches it. I just caught a bit of it. But he was disgusted that Branson had left Sybil. And then I was like, oh, wow, okay, this is crazy. <laughs> And then I asked, are you still going to let me in? He's like, I'm not sure right now. Oh, that was 
Brilliant. That was so good. I love that story. I guess TSA will definitely let you know if you're famous because like they they see everybody. They right? see everybody. So they're going to let you know. I invested in the story. He was just for the pen. <laughs> that was really fun. Um, I definitely want to talk about this one because it's it's great. You know, we're getting ready to release the, the second film. And it's interesting because there was a point where we thought we weren't going to see Branson again. And I just have to touch on this one when you went to America, because like, I'm not going to lie to you. I was like legit upset for all the happiness. I have to feel that would be like the other thing that people want to yell at you besides leaving your wife in Ireland. Was to to go and and, and, yeah, Yeah, I think to leave to go to America. Also, this is the one thing that myself and Julian kind of have butted heads on. I was like, if I'm going to go, I go. And he's like, no, you're going to come back. And it felt like Branson went to Boston for about seven minutes. (laughs) <laughs> and, and was the only Irishman to land in one of the most <laughs> Irish populated places in the world and go, no, it's not for me, uh, which I thought was quite funny. <laughs> but it works within the story because Tom had to try something else. He had to try and find and forge his own life. And that didn't work out. So he came back. Um, and and I felt that that was validated enough that he, he didn't want to be like completely away and that in a way they had become his family, which was quite a nice moment. Mm. But I did like the idea of at least Tom going, you know, I have to give this a shot on my own away from all of this. But, uh, but yeah, as I said, he was only there for about seven minutes, obviously found it far too cold um, and came home. I like it. I'm very glad that he came back. I was, I was legit. Like, where is he going? This is not, because again, you're right. He was our sort of guide through it. And and also despite everything else, I think the most identifiable character throughout everything. And I know there's a lot of big things going around him at times, but he just, uh, he was there. And it's funny that you mentioned the people he's close to. I really like watching him and Talbot, like, like you, you guys together are really great playing the like, yeah, we married into this. You know what I mean? <laughs> so you can kind of like side nudge each other. I feel like there would have been a bit of Matthew with that if he was still around. Yeah, definitely. And I kind of felt that it kind of mirrored what, what uh, Matthew Crowley did say to Tom Branson quite early on. when He said, you know, if we're crazy enough to take on these Crowley sisters, we have to do it together. And yeah. I felt that Tom kind of kept that that kind of message or idea alive when Talbot arrived. And it was also a lot of fun for me. I, I worked with Matthew Good on the imitation game and we'd stayed very close. So there was that sense of, I was like, come on, you're going to be fine. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, I actually want to talk about some of your broader work because it was, it was strange for me sitting to watch Bohemian Rhapsody first okay. and to see you be villainous. Right. Yeah. Like that was like very hard. And I'm just curious now that you've played this character, that's just so beloved and kind of mm-hmm. like holds a special place in millions of people's hearts. Yeah. Is that the like beat now? Like you're like, I want villains actions and just roughing people up. I think as an actor, it's lovely to play things that are great challenges and to go from being someone, as you said, who so many people either resonate with or, or love like, like Tom Branson to then go and, and be someone who was, so instrumental and not in a positive way in Freddie Mercury's life. Um, I think that there's a great challenge as an actor to, to number one, be like, will people be able to accept me as that? Um, I think the mustache helped a lot, uh, <laughs> but it did, it kind of changed my face a lot, which, which I think helped a lot. And, and, uh, but it, it's, I mean, look, number one to be part of that was just the coolest, one of the coolest experiences of my, of my career. But, 
as you said, it's you go from doing that down to the finish. It was like, well, let's do something completely different mm. if we can. And I was lucky enough to be to be put into that role. And it did feel like a like a big change and a big leap. So it was nice. But then the great thing is when when you come back to doing Downton and like we came back then to do, I think I was doing the press tour for Bohemian when we were shooting the first movie. Yeah, because after the premiere of Bohemian Rhapsody, Liz Trubridge, the last scene of the, of the first movie is Tom Branson and Lucy dancing out on this. There was this moment where they're completely isolated out on this balcony. And that was... Uh, a great idea from Liz Trubridge that wasn't in the script. She just wanted it as a little button for Branson's story and Lucy's story going forward. If it does, if it, if we were lucky enough to make another movie and we were all like, it's never going to happen. Myself and uh, myself and Tuppence were like, I don't want to learn a waltz. Uh, we're like, maybe we don't do it. Uh, you know, it's fine. And she's like, we're doing it. So I wrapped and came back down to London. We were up like very close to Scotland where we were filming in that house. And I got back for the premiere of Bohemian Rhapsody in Wembley. And as I'm going onto the, or getting off the train or about to go onto the red carpet, I got a call from the second AD and I'm like, hey, listen, it was such fun. Thanks very much. He's like, yeah, you're not finished. You have to get back on a train tomorrow. They're going to shoot that dance thing. And I'm like, oh, no way. So <laughs> back on a train off. And I'm like, Lisa never makes it. And Gareth Neem, the exec producer said, I will give you 500 quid if this makes the movie. And he goes, it's never going to make it, but shoot it anyway. The speaker that was supposed to provide the music broke. So it was on an iPhone attached to the Steadicam. The music was coming. And we were like, this never makes it. And it is such a beautiful moment. Yes. That's kind of crazy. But yeah, so it was kind of mad being, sorry, the, the reason that whole long story is it was lovely to be in those two worlds at the same time in a way. Well, I'm so glad you lost that argument. I'm so glad the trains ran on time because like... Oh, so am I. Because it's such a beautiful moment. It's literally, because yeah. It's exactly, they, they are both victims of circumstance. That's what I love about their, their storylines. Neither of them asked to be in this world. Neither of them were really born into it. One was kind of kept away from it. Mm. But now they are kind of the modern version of what the aristocracy can be. And the fact that they're doing a waltz together completely separated from either upstairs or downstairs they are on their own they're basically the first of the middle class <laughs> oh, i'm very excited to see what those two characters do in the second movie i'll just i'll just leave it at that um that being said there's been many loves of branson that mm-hmm. were not lady sybil and lots of like if there was anybody else that you think branson should have maybe like had some some fun with because he's had a few He's had a few. Yeah, I mean, one that never really got off the ground, which I thought would have been interesting, was the journalist that worked for Edith. Yeah. That only came in at the very end of the whole show. And I thought maybe there was possibly potential there. But then, I don't know, she obviously got fired for embezzlement. Something was going on. <laughs> yeah, she's like, like gone. She just disappeared. Like the, the first movie, we're like, sorry, who worked for you? <laughs> well, yeah. So that, that, uh, it, it's that all good. Disappeared. But I... I think probably that one, everyone else kind of had their own agenda and was kind of using Branson as a foil. Mm. We had, um, you know, the, the maid downstairs who just yeah. tried to get by and trying to use them. Then uh, Miss Bunting, the teacher, kind of was, was too, I think it was too strong a voice. Oh, I, of what Branson was I was talking doing, about but, anyone he came in contact with, like anybody. Oh, yeah, anybody. Although he did definitely, he had bad choices. <laughs> he had bad choices. With women. Yeah, yeah, but no, anyone he, he came in contact with. He, Anyone he came in contact with? That's a really good question. I mean, 
there wasn't anyone really that he, who did he resonate with? I don't think there was anyone that really would have. I had a little like place in my heart because like Lady Rose was not right there. I had a little place because like yes, she's very yes. rebellious and then the civil rebellion, yeah. but she rebelled in her own way. So we like got that one. <laughs> That's funny. I think that um, Lily for us was just, she was, it was one of her first gigs. And I'll never forget her first day. I don't know if you've heard the story that we all hid. So when she walked in and she was supposed to be meeting the whole cast, including Maggie, we'd all ran out of the room and hid. So she came in and she just stood there on her own. And then we all jumped out from behind the <laughs> curtains. And, and her, the way she played her character was so lovely because she had this, as you say, this defiance, but such innocence as well. Yes. But um, she had a great story just quickly in all the big dining room scenes. Uh, we have to do all these resets, you know, for especially we're having soup. Every time they go cut, we have to start again. And and whatever way it happened that they were shooting on Lillian, they forgot to put a bowl there for her soup. And it was one of her first uh, things that she ever shot. So she didn't know the protocol and she just kept going. So she just poured soup onto the table <laughs> because she didn't want to stop the take. And everyone was like, what the hell are you doing? She's like, I didn't know what to do. <laughs> Oh my God, you're giving me such great stories. I don't even want to end this interview, but we have to. Like, this has been so much fun. I'm going to leave it with this one. Um, What do you sort of, like, looking back on it, you know, both as, you know, you play an outsider on the show and you talked about how, you know, again, just being an Irish actor on British primetime television, like having more voices like that's important. I mean, what do you want people to take from Tom Branson, the character? Yeah, I think what I'd love people to take is the fact that Tom never lost sight of who he was in the in, as a victim of circumstance in so many different ways. And he always stayed true to his beliefs to the best of his ability, whilst also trying to, to forge ahead for the good of his daughter, for the good of himself. And, and then I hope for the good of the community around where Downton was. And, and I think he did do that. And what I love about this new movie, but I'm not giving anything away. He has an opportunity to do that on a much grander scale. And I think the fact that that's always been his through line is, is, is Tom's integrity is something that I think in, in the face of adversity, he's never lost a sense of who he was and what he believed in. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is Tom Branson in a nutshell, courtesy of Alan Leach. Y'all be sure to tune in next time on Downton Abbey, the official podcast for a conversation with Laura Carmichael, who plays the put-upon middle child of the Crawley family, Lady Edith. She's at the center of some of the most brutal sibling fights we've ever seen. Always with Edith's stuff, whenever I sort of wished her well and wanted her to get her happy ending, there was always like the thrill of when something really horrendous happened. It was going to be quite good for you acting wise to have quite a meaty storyline. That's Laura Carmichael next time on Downton Abbey, the official podcast. Downton Abbey, the official podcast, is a production of Focus Features, Limina House, and Gobsmack Studios. Executive producer, Diantha Parker. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe, and share the podcast with your friends. And finally, don't miss Downton Abbey, A New Era, the much-anticipated cinematic return of the global phenomenon that reunites the beloved cast as they go on a grand journey to the south of France to uncover the mystery of the Dowager Countess's newly inherited villa. Downton Abbey, A New Era, only in theaters this spring. Before we end today, I'm going to leave you with one more thought from Alan Leach. I'm Jacqueline Coley, 
and we'll talk to y'all next time. I'm grabbing a very quick quesadilla that I made myself with buffalo chicken. <laughs>